0: all right good morning everyone um we're going to continue our our study looking at the spiritual disciplines in just a minute um but i did want to just recognize uh that today is the annual jewish holiday of pentecost and it seemed particularly timely to note it this morning Um, pentecost is the day uh that was the fulfillment in the book of Acts, of Jesus' promise, he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the promise of power came upon them and then they would go out as witnesses and so acts chapter 2 tells us that while they were gathered about 120 in total in the upper room praying um, that a sound like a rushing wind and something that looked like tongues of fire over their head appeared and they began to praise god in languages they didn't know representing languages across the mediterranean world and as they went out as all of the Jews from all over the world and all of their uh, hometown languages heard God praised in their language. Uh, it drew everybody's attention. Peter got up and shared the gospel and 3,000 people became Christians upon that day. Um, one of the things that we don't always notice about that Pentecost happening is that it is a reversal of something that happens much earlier in the Bible all the way back in Genesis 11 when mankind is unified and building a tower unto heaven and God uh, scatters them by confusing their languages and what happens in Pentecost is God, through his spirit, begins to speak across those linguistic divides, and he begins to focus again on going out to all the nations, focus to all the world, and he accomplishes that by his spirit. As Nick mentioned, Jesus says that the spirit came upon him according to the book of Isaiah, uh, with a mission to heal and to free um, and and ultimately to unify. And it is that same spirit that came upon the church in the day of Pentecost. And that mission uh, in Jesus's words was broad and worldwide to all the Gentiles and we as the church are called to do the same. So, With that just being recognized this morning, um, I want to go ahead and look at this week's spiritual discipline. Specifically, um, we are going to look at the discipline of giving thanks. And to do so, I'd like you uh, to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. So you can go ahead and pull open your Bibles uh, to the New Testament epistle of Ephesians. We're just going to look at a single sentence in Ephesians chapter 5. Since we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, It's helpful to recognize the context of what we're going to read, so we're going to pick up in verse 18, but we're going to focus on verse 20. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes, do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice there that giving thanks is a byproduct, a consequence, or even a fruit or a result or a demonstration of our filling with the Spirit. That's essential for us to get this morning, because ultimately, this discipline of giving thanks only functions and makes sense for those who are filled with the Spirit. It only functions and makes sense for Christians. It only functions and makes sense when we recognize it's not something that we are called to do upon our own, but through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But let me read again to you verse 20. And then we'll pray and take a closer look. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes this morning as we look at your word and as we take this simple yet incredibly broad command uh, that you would instruct us in the ways of life lord that we would see this discipline not just being appropriate for who you are but being formative and beneficial for us I ask, Lord, that we would take uh, take away some simple truths this morning that uh, that are productive in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that just like your parable, where the sower goes out and throws the seed into the soil, that your word would find good soil in our hearts, that it would take root and it would bear much fruit. And we pray that the same spirit that we are called to be filled with in this passage would speak to us through the word he has composed through his prophets this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think right out the gate here, I want to just recognize a distinction or clarify what we're talking about in the giving of thanks. We're not just talking about being grateful people. I think our first encounter with giving thanks, uh, as human beings, for the most part, is in the category of manners and politeness. Okay, saying please and thank you is something we learn at an early age. But what we're talking about here um, is God-oriented. It's it's significantly theological in its nature. But the second thing, and we'll see this very clearly as we begin to look closer at this verse. The second thing I want to say about Thanksgiving here is, as with all the other uh, disciplines we've looked at, what we're talking about here is a discipline. It is not inherently natural. It is not, by definition, easy. It's something that comes through practice. Uh, And so the second distinction I want to make is not only is it not about manners uh, or how we respond to other people, it's divine. It's focused on God. On God. Um, but But also that here, the discipline isn't about expressing our gratitude when we're grateful. It's about being grateful. So it's not even just saying thank you to God. It is an orientation, cultivating a habit that rightly sees who God is. Now, as we look at this, Um, I want you to notice that this verse breaks down very simply into four simple uh, prepositions, uh, excuse me, four simple propositions. Okay, look again at 520. Giving thanks always, one, and for everything, two, to God the Father, three, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want to look at all four of those in turn to help us understand uh, exactly what we're talking about here, how it's done, uh, and, and why it's necessary. Notice right out the gate, Paul says that we should give thanks always, okay? He's thinking there in a chronological sense. He's telling us when we should give thanks, and the answer is a simple and a broad one always okay in other words paul says it is always appropriate or to put it in terms of command he can't commands us in every instance in every circumstance to give thanks okay in fact earlier in ephesians chapter 5 paul says that um the mouths of christians should not be marked by um By joking, crude joking, um, uh, or filthiness or foolish talk, but instead, he says in verse four, let there be thanksgiving. If Christianity had an accent, you know, like the southern drawl or these types of things, um, if Christianity had an accent, it would be gratitude. But here he says that it should pervade our lives and in every circumstance, if you will, we should always give thanks. Now that's where we can see that this is clearly a discipline, because that's a challenging command, isn't it? There are times where our hearts are full of joy, where God has answered our prayers in such a significant way, um, where we can look around and, you know, we look at our lives and we say hashtag blessed. And in that sense, gratitude makes sense. But we all know what it's like also to experience the lows of life, to, to experience times of lack and desperation, to encounter problems that seem unsolvable. It's one thing to say, God, if you do this, I will give you thanks. But Paul says, while you're waiting, while you're asking, you should be giving thanks. The season for sowing the seed of thankfulness is always. Now, why is that? I would suggest to you that the first place to begin with always is to recognize the things that are always true always because what God has given us in Jesus Christ cannot be taken by circumstances, cannot be removed or threatened or questioned. Okay? We can experience a lot of loss and pain and suffering and opposition in this life, but the things that God has given us in Christ are never subject to circumstances. There is nothing that you can encounter in your life that can remove the things that God has given you in Christ. When earlier in Ephesians, it says that God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, no way in your life cuts you off from those blessings. No circumstances you encounter subjects those to questions we talked last week about seeking first the kingdom of god uh, and his righteousness specifically we talked about not laying up our treasures on earth but laying up our treasures in heaven and the idea was one of security that the things that are in heaven are safe from moth and thief and rust and even death okay and so when we when we go through our life, there is always the Christian's worst case scenario, okay? You can always sit where you are, look at how bad things are, and imagine the worst version possible of what comes next. But that story always ends the same way. And then I die, and I'm with Jesus, and he will wipe away every tear, and I will be present with him forever through eternity. God's presence. God's presence is one of these things that we always have. Most particularly or concisely, I would suggest to you that the one thing we always have that cannot be taken from us, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how we feel or what we face, is simply summed up in God's love. Consider Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, he says, for I have discovered that neither height nor depth, nor things that are, nor things to come, nor powers or principalities in heaven, on earth, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In other words, no matter what you're facing, there is a short list of things to be thankful for that are not threatened. So we should be thankful always because the things we have are secure and eternal. I think actually that's the easy one, right? There's always something we can be thankful for. Fine, great, okay. Um, But notice what he says next. After saying giving thanks always, he says, give thanks for everything. Now that's a lot harder to do. That's a lot stronger of a statement. Always having something to be thankful for is one thing. Being thankful for all things is completely categorically a different thing. It's the type of sentence you read that makes you wonder if either this translation is poor. Like, is there some sort of loophole to get around this? Uh, or or is, is Paul just, you know, idealistic here and he doesn't really get it? It's worth reminding you here that Paul didn't live a posh and privileged privileged life, okay, Uh, that as, even as he writes here, he is most likely in prison, okay, for preaching the gospel. Now, two clarifications I want to make here, and then two misunderstandings. Uh, The two clarifications are this when we're talking about giving thanks always here, I think it's really important that the perspective Paul is giving us is an individual perspective. Okay. So the question isn't here. So we should be thankful for world hunger. We should be thankful for these types of things. No, that's, that's not the scale that uh, Paul is talking about here. He's talking about all things in our life. Okay. Okay. Now, those things touch, right? Real people experience hunger. Um, and so there are are those issues. When we look at the news, when we look at the big things, we we can question that. But he's talking here about uh, about our personal lives, uh, and he's calling us to give thanks for the things that we are encountering and experiencing, not to explain things that are too big for us, not to wrap our head around, you know, the big uh, conundrums of life. Um, but I also want to point out here, uh, two things that he doesn't mean. The first is, this is not mere stoicism, okay? The Stoics believed that we should face life and be unfazed, okay? I don't care what nature or the gods throw at me, I am going to be unemotional, I'm going to take it like a man, I'm going to uh, stand my ground and grin and bear it. That's not the idea here. You see, Stoicism in its roots, there's lots of modern versions of it, but in its roots, it came from a place that aspired to be like the gods. The gods, as the Stoics saw it, were unimpacted by emotions, or they would not be gods. If we could affect the gods, make them sad or happy, then we could have control over the gods, and that didn't make sense to the Stoics. And so they saw gods as the unmovable movers, the ones who were at work in life and were unfazed by life, and so being godlike required being unfazed, immovable, unemotional. Now, when we read the Bible, we find God uh, constantly connected with emotions. We find a God who feels, who grieves, who loves, who rejoices. And so that's not really a concern for us, um, but it's also tied to a more important point, which is simply that the gods uh, in Stoicism— And oftentimes in modern versions of Stoicism, when we just try and brace our way through life, they become mechanical. But the God that we're talking about here is the God, uh, God the Father, God our Father. What we're talking about here is personal, and it is that personal nature that becomes significant, as we'll see in a second. So we're not talking about Stoicism here, or some sort of, uh, you know, thank you, sir, may I have another. It just surrenders to God's authority. But we're also not talking about silver linings, okay? I know you all know these unhelpful optimists, right? No matter what you're going through, they say, well, at least, or they try and point to the silver lining. They try and ease the situation by finding just a fleck of light, okay? And the problem is when we take that approach to try and be thankful, When we take that approach with God, it reduces our gratitude to our ability to understand our circumstances. We start like a detective, searching through things, looking for what God might be doing or how it's working. And as you can imagine, when you do that, one of two things happens. Um, Either you end up speaking out of turn, and this is what our unhelpful optimist friends do, right? they lay their finger on things and we weigh it in the scales and we go, that doesn't make a difference. That doesn't make this worthwhile. Uh, this is similar to me when we look at the atrocities that we face in the world. And there's always some pastor who's willing to stand up and say, this is God's judgment for these reasons. Right. As soon as, as soon as we try and pull back the curtain beside our be uh, by ourselves, then it becomes, uh, you know, some sort of divination to figure out what God is doing, and it limits our ability to be grateful on our ability to perceive and understand. So this isn't about silver linings. Paul is not suggesting here that if we just think long enough, we can figure out the good thing that God is doing, even through bad circumstances. Instead, I would suggest to you that the foundation for this Is God's person his promises and his plans none of which none of which are thrown off by our circumstances in other words we give thanks in all things because God uses all things for our good which remember is not the same thing as saying everything God does is good in the intrinsic natural sense, okay? This doesn't require us to say uh, that that loss is good or that poverty is good or that hunger is good. What Paul says, again, in Romans chapter eight is God uses all things for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Remember the story of Joseph. Joseph, who's given a vision and a dream, uh, a future. And then you chart the path of how that future comes to be. And it seems like one wrong turn after another. Instead of escalating to a place of leadership, he's sold into slavery. And then he's wrongly accused by the wife of his master in Egypt and thrown in prison. And then eventually, eventually he stands face to face with those who sold him into slavery, which are not thieves that broke into his house, but his own family. And he looks at them and he looks at where he is at the end of his life and he says, What you have meant for evil, God has used for good. The point is here no matter what you are facing, no matter what you are going on in your life, God's character is unchanging. Our circumstances change, God's character does not. God is love, God is good, God is light. Not only that, but no matter how your plans seem to be disrupted, God's plans haven't changed. Now, this is a really important point about that verse in Romans 8. God uses all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. For what good? For our comfort? Is the idea behind that verse that just if we just hold out long enough, it'll all come up roses? Is the idea there that anything we are facing in our life, we shall overcome circumstantially? No. Obviously, human beings, Christian and non-Christian alike, are often overcome by circumstances. Sometimes a cancer diagnosis leads to death, maybe even most of the time. But as Paul goes on, he says in Romans 8.29, so all things work together for good, Romans 8.28, Romans 8.29, to conform them to the image of his son. As I've heard it said by another pastor before, God is happy to use the things he hates to do the things he loves. And what he loves to do, what he's committed to do, what his plan in your life is, is to make you more like Christ, to make you more like Jesus. And you can trust that he is not taking a break from that plan. You can trust that he isn't up sitting in heaven going, well, I guess we'll have to wait till this stuff ends so I can get back to my goal uh, in, in your life. You can trust that this is not a detour, it is the path. And then there's the promises. In fact, what I've just told you—that all things work together for good, according or for those who love God—that is one of the promises. So is "I will never leave you nor forsake you." So is um, so is the final destination that God has promised us in Christ in heaven. So is that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what you face in circumstances, the same God with the same plans, is keeping his same promises. Which means whether you can understand how that works or not, whether you can see the light at the end of the tub- tunnel or interpret the silver lining, you can give thanks. Now, to be honest, if we just handed our life over to some sort of uh, of company that orchestrated all of our circumstances, and made us promises, there would be plenty of room for suspicion when things got weird. There'd be plenty of possibilities of looking at life and going, I don't know about this. Do you really know what you're doing? In fact, many of us and all of God's people throughout history have had those periods of time going, God, where are you? God, when will you deliver me? God, when will you show up? Okay, And so the idea here, again, is not that you check your emotions at the door or uh, or that you you take a rose-tinted glasses view of things. That part of crying out is part of this process. But let me point this out to you. If giving thanks is really a discipline, if it's something that will grow you, if it's something that has to be exercised, the place where it's going to grow you, The place where your gratitude will become more deep and more true and more felt are the hard places, are the places where you don't know, are the places like Job where you have to say, the Lord gives and takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. It's going to be in those times when you are tempted to not give thanks, that giving thanks becomes the most powerful. I've told this story before, but I think it's a reasonable parallel to what we're talking about here. Because the real question at heart is not, not, uh, you know, what is God doing right now? It's when we get to the end of the road, can we make sense of the paths that got us there? When I was in seventh grade... um, I guess it was sixth grade, actually. They had just built a new school building. They sent me to school, um, and I had been attending school at an elementary school with all the same kids. And since it was a new school building, they basically broke the four wings of this uh, middle school into elementary school wings. And so the plan was, I was gonna be with the same students I had been with the last five years, my friends, the ones who attended my birthday parties, the ones who I had sleepovers with, the whole deal. And so I show up at class and I'm sitting in the first classroom and roll call is called and my name's not on the list. And so I raise my hand, I introduce myself to the teacher and he goes, oh, there's an error, you're supposed to be in wing three, not in wing two with us. And I said, but these are all the students I know, this is the Apple Valley crowd, I'm from Apple Valley Elementary School. And it turned out that, um, that it was because of my math scores that they had put me in an advanced class that was only existing in one of the wings. Uh, and so they removed me and I went home and I cried to my parents uh, and I said, I don't want to do this. This is dumb. I don't really care about these things. Um, and, and at the time I was heartbroken. I felt like my, my life was over as a 12 year old boy um, because I was going to have to start entirely over. Okay, so I'm 36 now, and I can tell you with confidence that that year I met the friends who are still my friends today. Okay, That was the year that I began to to connect with the social group that carried me all the way into adulthood. But when I was crying in my bedroom that night, I, I didn't know that that was possible. I didn't know that that was likely. I was just a kid. I think you all have experiences like that where your parents made a decision outside of your control and it ruined your life until it didn't. All I'm suggesting to you is, is it possible? Is it possible that when all is said and done and you can see the whole picture of your life and you stand next to God that you might go, you were right, Lord, thank you. You see, the Thanksgiving that we're talking about here, like I said, is something that's only possible for Christians. And it's only possible for Christians for three reasons. Two, that we've already touched on. Uh, One, because the Holy Spirit is necessary for this. This is not something you can do in your own strength. It's something you need even God's divine empowerment to do. Second, because it's based upon the promises that God has given Christians. We can't look at a non-Christian's life and say, look, everything in your life is going to turn out okay. They don't have the promise that all things work together for good. Okay, they haven't joined God's will and God's plan. They haven't signed up for his offer yet. We can't look at the suffering of non-Christians and go, it, there's meaning in it. We can't say that. But as Christians, we can be confident in the promises that God has given us, in the effectiveness of the work of Jesus Christ. And that ultimately means that thanksgiving is an act of faith. But it's not faith. In understanding and knowledge, it's not faith that says, I am confident that things are going to work out in the way that I expect, in the way that I think it will. It can't say, I am confident that this problem isn't too big for me and I can overcome it. Thanksgiving has to come from a place that says, I am confident that God is who He is, that He will do what He said He will do, and that He is faithful in keeping His promises. Okay. And so we give thanks always because the things we have cannot be taken from us. We give thanks in all things because God uses all things for our good. And third, notice here, we give thanks to God the Father. Whereas the first two, always and in all things, go broad, this is a narrowing. The answer given here is to the unspoken question, who do we thank? We thank God the Father. The recognition here is that we give thanks to God the Father because he's the giver of all good gifts. It's the recognition that, that the good things in our life often come through um, secondary sources, okay? And so there's a windfall on the stock market or your boss gives you throws you a bone and gives you a new opportunity or someone buys you a gift uh, or a thousand, a thousand other things. What we need to recognize is because of what we already saw, because God's character and plans are always at work, in the same way, all good gifts that we encounter, all things that are clear and abundant blessings in our life are from the same source. The New Testament tells us that all good gifts come come down from the Father of lights. And so the danger here for us, the place where we neglect our thanksgiving, is that we don't trace things all the way to the source. We see them as good things. We enjoy them. We rejoice in them. We celebrate in them. We might even say our please and thank yous. But God is the final cause. Okay? He is the ultimate source Every good you see and experience in your life is a blessing that he has given. And so all of those goods aren't just things to write, you know, your your thank you cards for. What I would suggest to you here is that anytime you experience gratitude, you should harness that gratitude. Push it all the way to the source. Thank the giver of the gift and thank the giver of the giver of the gift. Okay. We give thanks to God the Father because he is the source of good things in our life. He is the Father who knows things before we ask of them. I remember hearing a story once about uh, a single woman who was a Christian uh, and her neighbor was an atheist and thought that her religion was ridiculous. And they had talked about it a few times and then he realized that she had lost her job And over coffee, she mentioned that she had been praying that God would provide for her and her family, uh, because they didn't know how they were going to make ends meet. And he had what he thought was a genius idea. He thought, all right, I'm going to pack a bunch of groceries, put it on her front porch, I'm going to ring the doorbell, and she's going to see the groceries and she's going to praise God, and then I'm going to jump out and go, God didn't do this for you, I did. And so everything went off like uh, without a hitch. The groceries were there. He hid in the bushes. He rang the bell. She saw the groceries and she thanked God. And he jumped out and he said, no, these are the things that I've given you. And she said, she said I know you can't understand this, but God is the giver. You're just the messenger. You have just carried the gift. Now, again, what I'm suggesting is not that we should belittle those who do us a good turn in life because ultimately god does anything instead i'm telling you that you should harness your gratitude that you should look up when your eyes are uplifted all the way to the giver of all good gifts and then i want you to notice the last one here so verse 20 giving thanks always and for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ now, this is a good place to clarify what it means when we say, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we encounter a lot in the New Testament. We're to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. We're to give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus Christ, right? The idea here isn't, thank you, God, in Jesus' name, as if that's how we sign our letters, like it's the Christian version of sincerely on our prayers, okay? In Jesus' name means according to the character of jesus it means because of who jesus is and what he has done in other words we give thanks in the name of jesus jesus because the goodness we experience is not earned or deserved okay we as christians experience god's love by god's grace we as Christians experience that committed plan of God and all of his promises, which are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, it tells us in the letter to the Corinthians. Okay. In other words, why is it that God does us a good turn? Why is it not just that God gives us his good gifts, but we can even trust that God uses the things he hates to do good for those he loves? Why can we trust that? It's because of what Jesus has done and not because of us. God isn't looking down from heaven and going, you know what? I am so impressed with you and your good behavior this week that I am going to make this turn out in your favor. He doesn't say, I am so... Uh, impacted by your faithfulness that I am going to do these things. In fact, in the biggest picture, the good that God desires to do for us is in spite of who we are and what we've done. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is another cause of our lack of gratitude. We don't give thanks because we deserve this, because we earned this, because we built this with our own hands. We look at our pile of money and we say, this is my blood, sweat, and tears monetized. Why would I thank God for what I've done myself? But as Christians, we don't have the opportunity to do so. We have to remember that all that God does for us, he does in the name of Christ Jesus. And so we give thanks in the name of Christ Jesus because we have not earned the good turn that God has done us, nor have we deserved it. But instead, Jesus earned and deserved it, living the life we could not live, dying the death that we deserve, and freely offering us in his name every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, the inheritance that was his by right. He has made ours freely, And so our gratitude should flow freely because there is no justification for it on our end. There is no deservation or right that we have to the goodness of God. It's rooted in his character and the sending of his son who lived his life in our place. Okay. So let me put things really simply here in terms of application. How can you grow in the discipline of thanksgiving? I don't know if this is going to work. It works in my head, but that doesn't always mean a lot with other people. But you know the six diagnostic questions, who, what, where, when, why, how? That's basically a summary of our application today. How can you grow in thanksgiving? Look for when you haven't thanked. Okay, that's how and when. In other words, if you want to grow in Thanksgiving, you don't wait for the impetus on your own heart. You look for the hard spots. You look for the situations you don't know what to do with. You look for the situations where you have given someone else or yourself all the credit. You look for the situations um, where things are so hard, but you've neglected the realities that are untouched by your circumstances. Okay. So, how do you grow in giving thanks? You look for when you haven't thanked. Because in those places, either you have forgotten what you have, okay, that's first. You've forgotten what you have, or you've forgotten who God is, who's working in your life towards his plans, or because you've forgotten where these good things come from, that God is the source, or you've forgotten why. You receive them by grace through faith in Jesus' Christ. Okay, Using those four places, saying, when haven't I been thankful? What circumstances haven't I been thankful? And then going through the list, have I forgotten what I have? Have I forgotten who God is? Have I forgotten where all good gifts come from? Have I forgotten why God does these good things for me? then you are equipped to give thanks. And I want to just finish here by pointing out why this is valuable. It's not just valuable because God is worthy. All of the disciplines are built on the foundation that God is worthy. He is worthy of your prayers. He is worthy of you meditating upon his word. He is worthy of your songs and your praises. He is worthy of your money and your talent and your treasures all being given unto him. But God calls us to do these things as a way for us to grow. So what would a life of this type of thanksgiving look like? It would be a life that is energized by the reality of who God is what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do. It will enliven you to understand God's love, not just in theory, but in practice. This is a way to trace the lines until the lines become your framework. This is a way to clean the window until the window becomes your viewpoint. Thanksgiving in this way cultivates you to uh, encounter, experience, and know personally God as he desires to be known. So it's a worthwhile practice. Let's pray right now. In fact, let's pray a prayer of thanksgiving. God, thank you. For this last 25 minutes, Lord, we thank you for this time because we know that your spirit was speaking through your living and powerful word and that was by your design. We thank you, Lord, because you are working that word into our hearts so that we might not sin against you, so that we might know who you really are. We thank you that you are the self-revealing God who desires to be known father we thank you for the circumstances we find ourselves in right now and that's not because we understand them it's because we know that what you've given us in jesus christ your committed has said love your promises a relationship with you the presence and working of your holy spirit the new family that you've given us in Jesus Christ. God, we know that none of those things are threatened by the things we face today. we also thank you, Lord, because you are so good in your sovereignty that there is nothing in our life right now that threatens the plan. In fact, there's nothing in our life that is irrelevant to the plan, Lord, that every circumstance, no matter how hard or how dark, we can trust that you are present and active in. And Lord, we have no greater expression of that than the cross of Christ, where the greatest act of wickedness, the greatest evil rebellion of mankind as they crucified an innocent human being who was God in the flesh, even there, Lord, you were working. Even there, you had our good in mind. Even there, forgiveness was on the tip of the tongue of the one who was murdered. God, it's too much for us, and that's part of what this gratitude is, Lord. It's recognizing that you are God in heaven, and here we are on earth. And God, we thank you for all the good and abundant blessings in our life, Lord, that have come through all sorts of avenues, all sorts of places. We recognize, God, that you are the root cause of all of them. And we thank you, Lord, that all of these things you've done for us, all of these promises that you've made us, are free gifts given in the name of Jesus Christ, not because we have earned or deserved them, Lord, but because of grace. God, that's such a long list to be thankful for. We thank you. Help us to grow in giving thanks always and in everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray that you'd help us with this in Jesus' name as well. Amen.